Well, this past July, I found myself stuck in the middle of Lake Huron. I was with my family uh, at a camp in northern Michigan, and I was out with a friend of mine. We were, we were sailing. He was teaching me how to sail. And he was teaching me you know, how to hold the line and how to steer the rudder and how to harness the wind so that you were actually moving. And it was really fun. It was a beautiful day, and for a while, we were going pretty well. And at some point, I was holding on to the rudder with my left hand and the line with my right hand, and I was kind of, you know, we were like making it, you know? We were like slicing through that blue-green water, and it just felt so good to be moving. There's just this pure pleasure that you get when you, when you finally are sailing. And then at some point, I don't know if it was because the wind got a little bit too strong or maybe too weak, and I wasn't sure exactly what to do, because you have to have skills. And um, at some point, at some point, we found ourselves uh, in the most unenviable position of any sailor, and that is the position of being in irons, in irons. In irons refers to a uh, sailboat that's just, it's dead in the water. It's just sitting there. There's wind available to be harnessed, but you're not harnessing it at all. You're just kind of sitting there, bobbing up and down. I find that uh, this can be very true of our, our life. It can be a metaphor for our life, to be in irons, to have a kind of malaise where you're just bobbing up and down, you're not moving anymore. And maybe you felt like this with uh, with your calling. Maybe there was at some point where you knew exactly what you wanted to do. You had big dreams and you had high hopes and you had people encouraging you and you were moving and you were getting opportunities. And then all of a sudden, for some reason or another, you just found yourself sort of dead in the water. Just like your, your calling was in a bit of a malaise. And all of a sudden, you weren't really sure where your life is going anymore and what you're really gonna do with your life. And does anyone even care anymore? Are there any encouragers left? Can I really make it? Do I really have what it takes? Maybe your life is in a relational malaise. Relationally, you are in irons. You don't know uh, how you're going to move forward in being known and loved. You feel kind of stuck in community. You feel kind of stuck in your friendships. The relationships that you care most about are kind of like bobbing up and down, not really moving anywhere. A lot of us feel this way just as it relates to being in communion with the living God. You know, maybe there was a time when it felt really, like God was really speaking to you and he was really communing with you and he was really drawing near and you were really sailing through the blue green waters, all right, of walking with God. But now you're just kind of stuck and it's kind of, prayer is dry and boring and you don't know what the point is anymore. You don't even know if you wanna try. Our life can be in a malaise. Our life can be stuck. So uh, this is why I love Exodus 4, and I love the story of Moses, because Moses was in huge, big-time malaise, okay, major league malaise, and he was uh, stuck. He had a lot of insecurities. He had a lot of failures. He had a bad track record, and even when God came to him directly and communed with him, Moses had a lot of insecurities to bring to the Lord, a lot of weaknesses to bring to the Lord, a lot of stuckness to give to the Lord. And what we see in response from the living God is an incredible amount of grace, just an incredible amount of grace for Moses. God doesn't condemn Moses, 
but he does in his grace send the current and send the wind and send everything that Moses needs to get moving again on his life calling, to get moving again in listening to God, get moving again in his relationships. Everything that Moses needs to get out of irons, uh, God gives through his grace. And that same grace is available to us. That same grace is available to you and whatever, uh, however you find yourself in a malaise, however you find yourself stuck, there's grace for you. And I want you to see that, and I want you to participate in that. I want all of us to participate in it as a church. So let's turn to Exodus 4 and look at uh, God's grace, God's grace for our malaise. And we're just going to look at three forms of this grace, three particular forms of this grace. First of all, we're going to see that for the insecure, God offers assuring signs. For the insecure, God offers assuring signs for the insecure. God offers assuring signs. So um, all of us would feel insecure if we had Moses' calling. Every single one of us. Maybe from a distance we'd be like, oh, (laughs) he's just kind of afraid. Uh, Sort of a weak man over there. But um, Moses was given charge of uniting and liberating an, uh, 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 an entire nation of slaves. Going into enemy territory uniting a nation, and then bringing them out, confronting the, probably the foremost world power dictator at the time, and bringing them out. I mean, this was a huge and enormous calling. And all of us would feel insecure. We're, you know, Moses is an aging man here, um, and, um, and he's kind of past his prime, and he's had a lot of failures. And so um, now he needs to confront a dictator, and now he needs to lead a nation, go from, from shepherd of physical sheep, actual sheep, to the shepherd of like lots and lots of lots of people sheep, which is a lot harder and more complicated. So it's understandable for Moses to say what he said. It's understandable for us to read in verse one, Moses saying this, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord did not appear to you. And he's talking about when he goes to the Israelites and saying, the Lord spoke to me and I'm your leader, (laughs) okay? And now you need to follow me into the dangerous unknown. Um, We've all been there, haven't we? Just plain old-fashioned fear of failure. Just what if I I give this a real go and and I fail and I I let everybody down? Um, Fearing rejection as a result of your failure? Fearing humiliation? Haven't you ever experienced that kind of a, of a fear of like you gave it your best shot, you really stuck yourself out there and, and it didn't go well and they didn't listen to you, they rejected you instead? Maybe it's, you know, we've got, like Moses, okay, a painful past, a painful past where we did fail and we were rejected and, and, it, and it really did feel painful and we never want to feel that pain again and so uh, when God calls us to something uh, that is scary, that is, that is uh, a risk, we, we backtrack like Moses backtracked. We would all fear failure. And the coolest thing is just how the Lord speaks tenderly to Moses and gives him a very assuring sign. So uh, verse two says this, uh, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. Now, a staff was a kind of like your driver's license and, and, your, and your car and, um, and your social security number all kind of rolled into one walking stick, all right? So it was kind of like your ID 
as well as something that helped you get around. And it was like maybe a symbol of your person uh, that, that was sort of this all-encompassing tool that you carried. And, and the Lord's going to say, okay, that's your staff. Now it's going to be my staff. So here's what he says in verse 3. Uh, so the Lord said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And quite understandably, Moses ran from it. <laughs> Moses ran from it. Now, the serpent here is a symbol of Egypt. Um, it's a joke now, but in the U.S., you know, uh, the, the U.S. likes to symbolize itself as the bald eagle, right? And Stephen Colbert, you know, had a great time with that. And um, so, uh, so Egypt symbolized itself in the snake. They're like, we're awesome, and we're, we're so bad, and, and we're dangerous. And, and what the Lord's doing um, with, with the snake is the same thing that Stephen Colbert did with the bald eagle, is he's, is he's making light of it. Throw it on the ground, Moses. All of a sudden, this staff becomes a serpent. And then the Lord says, now, take it up. Don't run from it like you did last time. Take it up with your hand and subdue the snake. And you can do this anytime you need to do it. You can do it for Israel, and you can do it for Pharaoh. And this is an assuring sign for you that I am the Lord and that your staff is my staff. This isn't magic, Moses. This is grace made visible. And this, sign, this is a sign for you that I have come to visit you, uh, that I will be with you. This sign gave him assurance, even in his personal insecurity. It's Moses, look up from beyond yourself and look at this sign, look at this powerful sign. Carry it with you wherever you go. We have a sign too. No matter how insecure we feel, we have the incredible and amazing sign of baptism. Baptism is a sign that we have been delivered out of the waters and that we have been saved from slavery and that we come up out of the water gasping and we, we look, up, look into the Lord's face and we see that we have been united with Jesus Christ in his baptism and that we have gone from slavery to being a son, to being a daughter of the Lord. And we are marked as Christ's own forever. And no matter when we feel insecure, whatever the Lord's call on our life, we take our baptism wherever we go. And then we come here every Sunday, and on occasion, on, on, on those Sundays, we will, uh, we will have baptisms again, and we can witness with our eyes this assuring sign that can never be taken away from God's people, that God has visited his people it's not magic, it's grace made visible. It's a sign that the living God has come to be with us, that he has died for us, that he has resurrected for us, and that we are one with him forever and ever. And that is a sign for everybody, no matter how insecure you feel. That is a sign that's made available to you. You can step forward and receive baptism. That is a sign that you can look to on the other end of baptism. The Lord offers assuring signs for us when we feel insecure. It's a great reassurance. So when you feel your frailty, remember your baptism. When you're stepping into risk, remember your baptism. When you need to follow God's call in your relationships or in your walk with God or in your vocation, remember your baptism because it can never be taken away. It is an assurance of the Lord's power. It's not your life anymore. It's the Lord's. Secondly, uh, for the self-critic, God offers loving support. For the self-critic, God offers loving support. So he doesn't just give assuring signs for us when we're insecure. When, we're, when we move into self-criticism, he offers us loving support, gets us out of our heads. Do you ever listen to your inner critic? Ever listen to your inner critic? Uh, maybe it says things like, um, how come she can pull off that outfit, but you can't? <laughs> All right? 
Um, or hey, how come you haven't done more with your life? How come that person's done so much with their life, they're the same age, and they're so much further ahead than you? How come you screwed up when they succeeded? The inner critic says things like, you know what, you're so flaky. <laughs> or you know what, you're kind of a, not really an attentive parent. You're always looking at your phone, aren't you? You're like, yeah, I am, inner critic. Um, or how come no one ever wants to hang out with you? How come, how come you're always left out? It's probably your fault. The inner critic is just uh, ruthless and relentless. And this is what Moses' inner critic said, uh, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Moses says to the Lord, Lord, I can't talk good. You can't use me, right? You see, I've got all these flaws. And um, you know what's interesting is that Moses became one of the most prolific speakers and authors of his day. You know, the book of Exodus was written by Moses. There was likely some editorial help along the way. But, I mean, this man spoke a lot, and he spoke really well. But on the other end of this conversation, see... Verse 11 says this, the Lord said to him in, the, in his grace, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Now, this is amazing. The Lord says, hey, Moses, stop looking at yourself and, and your own criticisms of yourself. Look up at me, Moses. Look up at my sufficiency. Look up at my grace. Look up at the fact that I made you, I care about you, I love you, I can empower you. This really isn't about you at the end of the day. This is about loving me and your neighbor. And in order to do that, you have to stop looking at yourself and look up at me, Moses. I made man's mouth. I can be with you. I will be with you. I will be your mouth. Okay? So, um, so then in verse 12, he shoves the boat. Now, therefore, go. Come on, buddy. Therefore, go. And, um, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But Moses still resists. Verse 13, he said, um, oh, my Lord, please send somebody else. And, you know, the Lord doesn't come down hard on Moses, even though it does say his anger was kindled against Moses, quite understandably. Moses is being really stubborn. Um, but the Lord offers even more grace. Um, so verse 14, uh, he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can talk good. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now, isn't this amazing? The, the loving support, the circle of sufficiency that the Lord calls Moses into, he's like, hey, come out of this self-criticism. Come out of this stuckness. Come look up at me and see your brother. You're gonna meet your brother on the mountain He's gonna be glad in his heart when he sees you. And you know what he's giving Moses here in his grace? He's giving him a ministry partnership that he'll take with him for the rest of his life. Now, sure, Aaron's gonna screw up too, as, we will, uh, you know, as we'll see later in, in Exodus. Um, but this is a, it's his true brother, his, his uh, biological brother and his brother in ministry, his partner in ministry, someone who can help him take the heat when he goes before the, the nation of Israel and when he goes before Pharaoh. Do you see how gracious God is? Do you see how loving he is? He's the same God for you. He's the same love for you. He's the same patience with you. 
Yeah, you might be criticizing yourself. Don't criticize yourself because you're criticizing yourself. Look up at God. Look at the people he's brought you. Look at the loving support that he's provided for you. He cares about you. I remember once uh, when I was in graduate school, uh, I had a uh, kind of a rigorous program, and I had a lot of peers who were just driven and really smart, really gifted in this area of, of biblical exegesis, kind of Greek and Hebrew-based study of the Bible. And um, it was just a lot of competition in this program for the attention of the professors, because if you got their attention, they could make your academic track go faster and higher and better. And so there's a lot of competition, and I compared myself with them. And I ran on the fumes of self-criticism to get good grades. And then I started to run out of fumes. And I just saw that like it wasn't working. And it wasn't God's call on my life. And I was starting to absolutely get crushed under the weight of my own criticism. One of the most amazing things that happened was that I started to, I was going to Church of the Resurrection out in Wheaton at the time. And I started to go up for prayer ministry. And in prayer ministry, you know what they did is they took holy water, which is a, meant to remind you of your baptism, and they would make the sign of the cross on my forehead, and they would pray for me. And I felt such love, and I felt such grace. And as a result of, uh, of that kind of grace that I was receiving in this community, I started to talk with my peers about the struggles that I had. And I started to talk with other mentors about, you know, I'm really criticizing myself, and I feel all this pressure for academic success. And I had such, I, had, I was surprised at how gracious God was once I finally opened up to the loving support that he had for me. And it changed my life, changed the trajectory of my life. That same loving support is available to you no matter what your story is, no matter what your self-critic is saying. It was available to Moses, and it's available to the people of God. So God's so gracious, isn't he? He's giving us grace in the form of um, assuring signs, and he's giving us grace in the form of loving support. And then here's a strange form of grace. Finally, um, uh, let's see here. For the, let's see here. For the avoidant, <laughs> the Lord offers a severe mercy. For the avoidant, God offers a severe mercy. Avoidant is indirect resistance to someone's call on your life. Maybe you experienced avoidance when your mom was calling you to dinner. And she was like, time for dinner. And you were like engrossed in reading and you're like, coming. You know, it's not like you're against your mom or against dinner, but you're just like, I'm not ready to come to dinner. But you're like, coming. Lie. <laughs> we can do this with God, and he's like, come to the table. And we're like, coming. Right? Come to the table, and all that represents. Maybe addressing something in your life, some, some, some hidden resentment with this person, or this, or this issue with your life that you're, not, that you're, that you're holding on to. Sometimes we want to stay in the malaise because of the independence of it, right? And quite frankly, it's just easier than sailing <laughs> to stay in the malaise, to stay stuck, and to just be like, come in, God, sometime. I'll come to the table eventually. 
on my terms. And what we need in that moment is a severe mercy. A severe mercy. At the heart of Moses' life and family was a sin, which is an offense against God. It's a choice he made, a passive-aggressive choice to not circumcise his son. It was a call on all of God's covenant people to circumcise your son. Now, that sign of being part of God's covenant people has, has changed in light of Christ, but this was before Christ, and circumcision was God's law, okay? And Moses was like, not yet. Coming, not yet. I don't want to circumcise Gertrude yet. Now, it doesn't say why he didn't circumcise his son. Maybe it was because he was like, you know what? That was my, that back in the good old day, back in the old-fashioned days, they were kind of legalistic about this. Things have sort of changed now. I'm a cosmopolitan person, grew up in Egypt, and then I was in Midian, and so it's like, um, good enough, close enough. I'll deal with it later. Or maybe he was getting pressure from his father-in-law or mother-in-law. Don't circumcise your son. We don't do that here in this family culture. Whatever it might be, Moses wasn't doing it. And so we can even imagine a conversation between, between uh, Zipporah, Moses' wife, and Moses, where she's like, aren't we supposed to circumcise our son? He's like, I know, I don't really want to do it right now. But, you know, we'll deal with it later, okay? I'm supposed to go to Egypt. There's this big project coming up with work. <laughs> And so the rod and the staff are necessary to bring Moses back to the table. The rod and the staff is what the Lord uses to protect us from our own foolishness because our foolishness can ruin us, can ruin our life. And the Lord loves us. This is part of his grace. This is part of his grace to get us unstuck, get us out of that malaise. And so here's the severe part. Verse 24, scan to verse 24. And this is Moses is on his way to Egypt. He's got his family with him. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Now, this is the severe part. Maybe Moses is having a seizure at this point. Maybe he's frothing at the mouth. Maybe he's shaking and, and, and his wife sees him. And so here comes the merciful part, verse 25. Then Zipporah, quick thinking and quick acting, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he, meaning the Lord, let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Uh, Zipporah is doing the right thing by taking care of the issue. She, she uh, performs the right as best she knows how, and Moses' life is saved. And she declares, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. Now, this is kind of a mysterious phrase. It probably, maybe she's just saying, here you are, you're my bridegroom again. You're, you're back to life. And, and because of the blood of this son here, here you are alive to me again. And so Moses's foolishness, he's, he's saved from his foolishness. He almost dies. Maybe this is just yet one more taste of the holiness of God before he really goes in and faces the music. Maybe you're asking, you know, how could a merciful and loving God be severe? If God's really good, if he's really merciful, how could he be severe? The reason is because he will not excuse sin. God will not excuse sin. Even when we want to avoid it, and when we're like, coming, he will not excuse our sin. This is a God who would go to the cross 
before he would excuse sin. God gave his son to go to the cross to endure unimaginable torment, to give his blood so that we could be saved from our own foolishness, brought back to life. And it is often on the other end of the cross, severe mercy required to get us back there, repenting, rejoicing, experiencing Jesus's forgiveness yet again. This same grace, this severe mercy got Moses moving again. Verse 31 says this. Here's the miracle on the other side of the grace. And the people believed. This is after Moses declared to them what the Lord had said and showed them the signs. When they had heard the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Whatever got Moses moving can get us moving as well. On the other end of the malaise in your life is a calling and a purpose and the grace of the Lord. He gives us assuring signs and he gives us loving support and he gives us a severe mercy. And all of this is available to us. One of the most helpful things that happened in that year when I was stuck in self-criticism was I renewed my baptism vows uh, with heart and soul and with kind of a, a passion that I had never done before on the night of Easter Vigil. Now, renewing of baptism vows happens whenever there's baptism, okay? And so um, I stood up in front after confessing my sins to some of the leaders in the church and after receiving prayer and receiving support and beginning to grow in Christ, I stood up with the people of God and I renewed my baptism vows, renouncing Satan and his kingdom, embracing Christ and his kingdom. In about four weeks from now, on All Saints Sunday, November 5th, we are going to have a chance to have baptisms and to renew our baptism vows. If you want to receive the grace that is available to you through Jesus Christ, I wanna encourage you to step forward and receive the sacrament of baptism, which is a sign that points to the grace of God that saves us from sin, that, that cleanses us, makes us new, and gives us the resurrection of Jesus. If you've already been baptized, but you always thought maybe it was more about your statement than about God's grace, you will have the opportunity with all your heart and soul to renew your baptism vows on All Saints Sunday. And I wanna actually make an invitation for you that if you wanna meet with a leader in the next month, if you're stuck in your life, in your calling, in your walk with God, and you wanna meet with a leader to prepare your heart for the moment where corporately we will renew our baptism vows, you just write baptism vows on your communication card and rip that sucker off and put it in the offering plate when it goes by. Because we will all stand in the assuring grace of God that gets us unstuck and gets us moving to the calling God has on our relationships in our life. I wanna invite you to stand as I pray a prayer that is prayed at baptism. Almighty God, who by our baptism into the death and resurrection of thy son, Jesus Christ, turns us from the old life of sin, grant that we, being reborn to new life in him, may live in righteousness and holiness all our days. Through the same thy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.